Welcome everyone to Satsang. Sabko Barisanmane Kesat Premse Hardik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And Baba would begin every program by saying those words. And you say the essence of spirituality is to welcome people with love. Welcome yourself with love and welcome others with love. And we can't remember that too many times. So in that, in that spirit, I want to welcome you to satsang. And uh, we just had a chant to the goddess, uh, the divine feminine. And I was uh, intending to do a program uh, in honor of the goddess because of um, we just had finished Navratri last week. <clears throat> and um, I was going to do a program from Sri Ramakrishna, which, uh, uh, who was the great devotee of Goddess Kali. Uh, but I decided to put that off for two weeks. A couple of weeks I'll do Ramakrishna. Because, uh, as I was looking through my book, we just, last week we celebrated uh, the, cel the anniversary of Baba's Mahasamadhi, his death, uh, which is a great uh, celebration when it comes to a, a yogi because it represents his triumph over physical embodiment, his triumph of the spirit over matter. Uh, but you see, in India, they, they have a, uh, there are at least two different festivals for every festival. There are a million festivals to begin with, and then you can celebrate it on the, the lunar day or the solar day. Uh, so you have a, two million festivals. <laughs> And that's the way a religion should be. It should be filled with festivals and joy and celebration. <clears throat> anyway, the, uh, the lunar uh, uh, anniversary of Baba's Mahasamadhi is, I think, Monday, the full moon on Monday. And so uh, I couldn't uh, let that go by without doing a Baba program. This is not another Mahasamadhi celebration, but this is a celebration of Baba Muktananda. The great, the great Baba Muktananda. <clears throat> so, and I love Baba programs more than any other program, I have to admit. Go do me something. <clears throat> so, photo? This will be a mixture of uh, Baba in Ganeshpuri and Baba on tour. And this is um, the way he appeared in South Fallsburg. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> you know that's not true. It's the one about your head. What? Is that the same one? Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful photograph. Uh, Baba the Maha Yogi. Baba was the embodiment of Lord Shiva, the great yogi. Uh, it's a great yogi. And he always loved all the yogis in the dorm. You know, he loved those yogis who had practicing hard and attaining. Uh, so this is Baba in the 60s, before I met him. <clears throat> Next. And this is Baba when I knew him very well. This was early 70s, uh, in hot weather, giving a question-answer session in his room, and ex very expressively telling stories, like the one that Kita told, the one about... <laughs> the story of uh, 
did you say, did she say that uh, he was under a wish fulfilling tree? Yeah. yeah. A wishing tree, you know, there's a wishing well and a wishing tree, a cup of riksha. Um, and um, that was probably Baba's favorite story of all the stories he told. He told it more times than ever. And he says that, that we also are under a wish-fulfilling tree, and that is our mind. And if, uh, if, we, if we ask the mind the right questions and speak to the mind the right way, it will grant all our desires. But if we speak to it wrongly, it will murder us. So that's being under the wish-fulfilling tree. <clears throat> so next, what do you have? And this is Baba on tour, as he would say, gentlemen. I'm a gentleman, he'd say. And uh, for the big Western audience, is that it? Okay. <clears throat> so this, this first one is from uh, uh, a question-answer session in the West, sometime in the 70s. Question, Baba, will you comment on liberation of women in America? Is that the hope of the future for men as well as women? So think for a moment what Baba would say. Baba says, liberation is everyone's birthright, regardless of sex. Only in our ordinary life does the distinction between men and women have meaning. For God, it has no meaning. God only knows the inner self, which is neither man nor woman. To begin with, merely to come into existence, every man, whether he's a priest or a president, needs a woman. If you would understand your physical nature, you would become aware that every body is part male and part female. If you are a man, you already contain woman. If you're a woman, you already contain man. In a man, the masculine elements predominate. In a woman, the feminine elements. That's the only difference. The first and most important, the first and most important guru for every child, male or female, is its mother. The Indian scriptures affirm there's, there's absolute equality between men and women. That's Baba's answer. So the human liberation. And I also ascribe to the, the, the uh, concept of reincarnation, metempsychosis, as they used to say. Uh, rebirth, because, because it's the only reasonable explanation uh, for the way things are. And in, that, in those rebirths, uh, I think the, the Indian scriptures say uh, something like 64,000 uh, or 640,000 births you take. <clears throat> How many births does it take before you can get this right? This is not an easy gig. Of course, you have many births as lower forms and animals and so on, and then become a human being, and then you wander around in darkness and stupidity for many births, including this one. And, uh, and then so finally you evolve to a point where you move towards, uh, you go, you meet a teacher, and you go towards the truth. Uh, but during those births, we spend many lifetimes as a man, and many lifetimes as a woman. And so this is the embodiment of what Baba says. That's why we have both male and female within us. Question. God created this world full of all kinds of pleasures and temptations. 
Why did he do that if he didn't want me to indulge myself? <laughs> what will Baba say about that one? Baba says, what makes you think that he created them for your personal use? God also created hell. Is that for your use too? He created sorrows and disease. Are they destined for your use? God also created the state which is free from excess. Have you thought about that? He's created the various passions along with their consequences and this world in which you suffer them. Think it over. If God made heaven, he also made hell. Remember both. Don't go by what God has created, but by what is good for you. Great line, isn't it? <clears throat> who created poison if not the same God who also made honey? What shall we eat, poison or honey? Mm. Clever guy, huh? Mm. <clears throat> now this one goes back to uh, my time with Baba in Ganeshpur in the ashram in the early uh, 70s. <clears throat> and um, this is a kind of question. Occasionally a question stands out, as I've said, as possibly planted, that Baba had something he wanted to say, <clears throat> and he had a certain one of his close devotees say it so that he could rant. So this is the kind of question. Uh, you have a feeling for this after a while, uh, and you say, mm, I don't think anybody would ask this question. <clears throat> but this is um, a question by Girish B. We have Girish A here. <laughs> Girish B. And you see, you can listen to this question. Some seekers who, of course, immediately, immediately that tone, some, seek, some people, some people in the ashram, immediately uh, my, my uh, senses would go up. Plant, 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 message. I hope it's not for me. <laughs> <clears throat> Some seekers who have received Shaktipat seem to be puffed up and superior because of it. No one in the right mind would say that to Baba. <clears throat> we come back. You stupid fool, how dare you talk about other people? What about you? <clears throat> also, they seem not to have gotten rid of hatred, jealousy, anger, and other such tendencies and are very critical of others. <laughs> Not like me. That I put in. <clears throat> Shouldn't a person with Shaktipat go beyond these tendencies? You agree with me? Isn't that clearly a plant? <laughs> first, you, you ask a question like that, your head comes off first. So. <clears throat> anyway, it's a good question. Baba. <clears throat> One must cultivate good qualities by living with a saint who has the power of giving Shaktipat. <clears throat> One who has not developed good qualities and gotten rid of bad ones, even after receiving Shaktipat, <laughs> he is a fool in spite of the Shaktipat. Just as fools who haven't got Shaktipat are fools without Shaktipat. So he's a fool with Shaktipat. <laughs> Sorry. 
Sundaras, great poet saint, <laughs> Sundaras says that one who becomes conceited about having received Shaktipat and boasts about seeing Brahman everywhere, about seeing this vision and that vision, but looks for faults in others, is just a fool, regardless of whether he's a yogi or an ordinary person. So as soon as I <clears throat> used to hear these things, I said, that's a suspect question. Now, what actually is behind this question? So obviously, it's somebody is bragging about seeing Brahman, which means having high visions and experiences, bragging about it, and then finding fault with others, something like that, right? So somebody there. And I think, who's that? <clears throat> well, if one sees defects in, or sins in others, it's only because he himself suffers from these defects. It's only because he himself is sinful. If he were free from sins and defects, it would be impossible for him to see defects and sins anywhere. A pure person can see only purity, whereas an impure person can see only impurities. Anyone who claims to have received Shaktipat but does not give up his bad tendencies and faults, who does not look on everyone with love, who does not look at everyone as an embodiment of the divine, who does not approach everyone with respect and reverence, who does not treat everyone alike, becomes only more and more foolish. <clears throat> Sundara says that one who has received Shaktipat, but who does not seem the same, see the same self in everyone, who sees only defects and faults in others, cannot be called a yogi raj. He is the lowest of the low, and this is the degree that the University of God awards to him. His, uh, the degree of philosophy of seeing evil. <clears throat> if one has received Shaktipat, and if Shakti has truly taken seat in his eyes, his approach to others will be entirely different. True knowledge will arise within him, and he'll see everything through that knowledge. Another poet saint said that one who's received Shaktipat has become truly enlightened, will discover that the Lord himself has become the whole world. Of course, this is the Shaivite vision, that, that God himself, consciousness self, becomes everyone, becomes the whole world and every person in it. And that the Lord himself becomes the good and bad characters in the play that he stages. So he's referencing the Shiva Sutras, which says God is the stage and God is the actors. The self is the actors, Self is the stage. <clears throat> this is, Baba says, this is the understanding that a truly enlightened person acquires. Such a person considers neither a yogi raj as, yogi raj means a, a king of yoga, a, a great yogi, <clears throat> as virtuous nor a pleasure seeker as sinful. He realizes that the Lord himself becomes deity, devotee, and articles of worship that in the, in the ritual of the yagna, uh, the, the deity is God and the worshiper is God and even the, the fire is God and the utensils are God and everything is God. So God is worshiping God by means of God. This is the vision of, uh, of Shiva. <clears throat> and, by, and by becoming both deity and worshiper, he worships himself. One who sees hell cannot be a yogi raj. 
Only one who sees heaven can be a yogi Raj. <clears throat> Dayarnava, who was a disciple of Eknath Maharaj, Eknath was one of the great uh, poet saints of Maharashtra, like Tukaram and Ganeshwar and so on. <clears throat> uh, he says, it is Krishna who has become everything. And this is the vision which should follow Shaktipat, not the vision of evil. Now here's an interesting statement, Baba says. There are two kinds of Shakti, good Shakti and bad Shakti. <laughs> if one sees hell around him, he is under the influence of bad Shakti, not good Shakti. Shakti makes you a Siddha. Shakti liberates you totally. And a person who has become liberated cannot see others as bound. If we were to look for vices, there would be no end of it. Likewise, if we were to look for virtues, there'd be no end to that either. It is an illusion to think that others suffer only from vices. The consequences are worse for one who sees sin than for one who actually commits sin. I've told you the story of the prostitute and the yogi Raj many times. Uh, he doesn't tell it here, but I'll tell you in brief one of the great stories that illustrates this point about the world is as you see it, that actually the world you see, you have to live with. If you see a, a beautiful world, then there's beauty within you. And if you see a negative world, you suffer that negativity. So you, some of you don't know this story. So anyway, uh, I'll tell it really quickly. A great yogi and on, lived on one side of the street, on the Nepean, <laughs> on Tower Road. And uh, a prostitute lived on the other side. And every day the, uh, the prostitute would ply her trade and she would look over and say, oh, look at that great yogi, what a saint, what a great being, so wonderful, and I'm so horrible, and I, I wish I could be like him, what a great being. And the yogi would look over the road and say, isn't she horrible, she's full of sins, she's disgusting and I am so great. <laughs> and so they lived their life, and then they both died. And uh, they came before Lord Yama, or whoever it is that uh, judges these things. <clears throat> and uh, they said, uh, and he came before and said, uh, uh, my judgment is that uh, the yogi will be given a great state funeral with great pomp, but he's going to hell. <laughs> While the prostitute will be buried in an anonymous grave, but she's going to heaven. <clears throat> and so, um, what's the rest of the story? <laughs> it, the yogi said, how can that be? I did. He said, well, he said, you're going, uh, you're getting a state, uh, uh, you're getting a great celebration, state funeral, because you did so many actions in public that were pure, uh, but you're going to hell because you sought evil thoughts of another person. And the, the prostitute, she did a lot of uh, negative things with her body, but she sought pure things with her heart, so she's going to heaven. So that's the story. You like that? <laughs> I didn't tell it perfectly well. I didn't rehearse it. But it was, <clears throat> that's my memory. <clears throat> because you're a fault finder, you see, the, the yogi. 
One must not see faults. Now, it doesn't mean that a yogi is stupid. <laughs> you know, to see the way things actually are uh, is okay. It's when you get invested and, and uh, attached to them and self-righteous about them and emotionally involved and judgmental, that's when you are taken down by it. But if you see the way things are, but include them in your love and compassion. This world is filled with all kinds of things. People of every stripe, they're all, everyone is evolving. The whole world is nothing but a big ashram in which uh, uh, in different grades, some people are consciously practicing and trying to get close to God. Others are just blindly moving around in, with no meaning in their life and no understanding. Uh, and others are doing uh, wicked things and selfish things and stupid things. But it's all part of the thing. They'll, everyone will eventually evolve. This is the notion of the Shaivite notion. Everyone will eventually grow towards the light because in their essence, they're, this is not just a romantic idea. It's because the essence of every person is divine, though it's covered by uh, ignorance. But eventually that divinity, that light within must must move towards the light and must move towards purity and that's what happens. And we who are practicing on the path, we are consciously moving towards it, but everyone in their own way is trying to move towards it. Everyone's seeking joy and love and peace in, in some way, just some are very stupid about it and they're looking for it where it isn't. <clears throat> so, Baba says, one must not see faults. People who exhibit hatred, jealousy, anger, and superiority are completely stupid. Of course, that, that yogi was superior. Those people are grossly wicked. <laughs> He's having a go at some unknown person or persons. There are many such characters here. <laughs> and some of them may even be old devotees. But to me, so some old devotee now, this is another clue, some old devotee, and I'd look around, see, see who looked like they were burning. <laughs> but to me, old also signifies worn out and to be discarded. <laughs> They see only sin, and therefore they become more and more sinful. Baba could really fry. One should become old in the same way as rice, which, be, which comes to acquire the power of curing different ailments. We have 10-year-old rice here. Is that true about rice? Is that Ayurvedic, or is that an old wives' tale? <clears throat> One should not grow old like a shoe that gets worn out and discarded without any compunction. Baba would often call the old timers old shoes. Old shoe, don't be an old shoe. What do you think of that one? <clears throat> Question, this is back from the, the tour. I've got a few more. Question. What do you think of one who is attached to you, wanting recognition from you in some way? Is attachment to the guru, like other attachments, a source of suffering? <laughs> 
Baba. Attachment to the guru brings suffering only when it is accompanied by desire. If there's no desire in it, there will be no suffering. Love for the guru is its own justification. And if it contains no demand on the guru, it will not cause any suffering. If there's some selfish interest involved in your attachment to the guru, it is like any other attachment, like any other form of greed, like any business. Devotion to the guru that has no desire in it gives the highest bliss and sweetness. Your sole concern should be to sustain your devotion. Even if I do not recognize you, it does not matter. What really matters is the purity of devotion without desire. That is its own recognition. Of course, if, you're, if you have that pure feeling for the guru, you get the rewards inside yourself. It doesn't matter whether uh, what the guru does or doesn't do or what you get or doesn't get, because the, the rewards will be automatically inside, awarded by the inner guru. <clears throat> okay, here's another one. Very interesting one called uh, question. When does a disciple become a guru? How does he know that he's become perfect? Baba. <clears throat> a disciple becomes a guru when he follows the sadhana that has been laid down by his guru and loses himself in it. Then he attains guruhood. A disciple who is tested and who passes the test becomes the guru. <clears throat> he is a real disciple. Whoever comes to me and says, Oh, Baba, <clears throat> if you are the guru, I am your disciple. I say, hmm, yes. <laughs> Only when they are tested do I know how many of these people are real disciples. <clears throat> During the time of Tukaram Maharaj, there were many devotees of Hari, or God. We have uh, Tukram. <clears throat> they all had left their jobs and their work. They would say, Ramakrishna Hari, and would go to other people's houses to eat. That is how they lived their lives. There's a typical uh, uh, photograph of Tukram, a 17th century Maharashtrian saint who um, <clears throat> lived near uh, uh, Pune, near Pune. And there he is with his veena, and he'd go to the temple and he would sing. He's a very, he was a businessman, but a very bad one. <clears throat> but so there are lots of tukarams around, you know, dressing like that. <clears throat> Wherever tukaram was, thousands and thousands of people would gather. They would all wear a turban on their head, carry a veena, an Indian musical instrument, and would repeat, Ramakrishna Hari. Just as in this modern age, there's a sect called the Hare Krishna sect. In those days, the devotees of Hari would go to people and spread their arms, begging their arms, begging for alms. In Maharashtra, half of the population had become devotees of Tukaram Maharaj, and they had all left their jobs. <laughs> King Shivaji was in a predicament. And there's a statue of King Shivaji in the, in the corner, right near the ashram. He's great king of Maharashtra. He was in a predicament. He said, everyone's left their jobs and become a Tukaram. 
millions of tukarams, just like during COVID. <clears throat> he consulted his prime minister saying, everyone has become Tukaram Maharaj. No one has been tested. We have to test everyone. Baba says, there are disciples who are not tested. Then it is very possible for the good heart, the good faith, and the good conduct of other disciples to be spoiled. If you don't, if disciples not tested, then others are ruined. <laughs> Shivaji's prime minister came up with the means of testing Tukaram's devotees. He issued a proclamation. On the 15th of January, all the devotees of Tukaram will be hanged. <laughs> he told the town crier to beat the drum and make this announcement. The very next day, all the Tukarams threw away their turbans and Venus. <laughs> Only one Tukaram was left, the real one. In the same way, only if I test them will I know how many real disciples there are. Yes, there seems to be some truth in that. <clears throat> Another couple of questions on, on mantra and meditation. You like that one? Yeah. Question. This again is from the Western Tour. I never used a mantra before this week, and now that I'm using it, I feel a tremendous pulling in the center of my forehead. Am I using the mantra wrong, or am I doing it right? Baba, it is completely right. In the Sahasrara, there's a pot of nectar. This is from, a, I think, a poem by Kabir. It says there's a pot of nectar in the Sahasrara. Its mouth is turned upward, and as you do more japa and meditation, it will be tilted downward, and then the, that elixir falls on the root of your tongue, and it goes to your heart, and you experience profound peace. Is that a metaphor? Yeah, as you, you'll be filled with joy. Question, why is it when I meditate, I quickly fall away from the mantra, and it is something I'm not sure of? This morning I may have fallen, even fallen asleep, but I felt conscious of my thoughts. Yet when I came out of it, I remembered nothing. Of course, this is uh, describing the state of tundra, which is a high state of meditation. I mean, Baba says, this is a high state of meditation. <laughs> to get into the state in which you cannot do the mantra any longer, that is meditation. However, the mantra should not be replaced by all kinds of thoughts and fancies. If that happens, it means that you're not doing japa, mantra, or meditation. That's a very good distinction. If saying the mantra takes you into that state, which is like sleep, or it's an absorption, inner absorption, that's good. But if saying the mantra, suddenly you find your mind just going off into negativity, you know, kinds of things, that's not a good outcome. It means you should go back to the mantra and keep repeating it. But the, the, the state of tundra is the fruit of uh, mantra repetition. Baba says, there was a great devotee in Maharashtra who wrote in a song, O oh Lord, while I was remembering you, I got into a state where I lost awareness of myself, nor was I conscious of the mode of worship. Everything was blotted out. Only consciousness remained. O oh Lord, play your flute again so I might come back to myself. <clears throat> so Krishna would play his flute. 
When Krishna plays his flute, everyone goes into samadhi. Everyone goes into a trance. That's the meaning of Krishna's flute. It's like hearing the higher music, the music of the self. Baba says, this is a good state to be in. It is not necessary that the mantra should go on uh, all the time. In fact, you should reach a state in which the mantra disappears. If you can stay in that laya, laya yoga, where you absorption, the yoga of absorption, that state of complete inner absorption, that would be high tapasya. That would be great practice. It would be a state of total inner stillness. So let's go for that. Isn't that wonderful? I love, I love sharing Baba with you guys. It's a wonderful thing. Because Baba, uh, like his book, he becomes alive. I remember my time with him, and I remember what a great being and what great uh, supreme awareness and love and humor he had, and terrifying, too. <clears throat> so we'll meditate for 10 minutes. And as he said, you can say the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, the mantra of our lineage, or watch the breath, the Hamsa Soham mantra, watch the breath go in and out, or say the Guru Om mantra, any of these are fine. And let the mind become one-pointed, and let it become absorbed in the inner self, in the inner consciousness and go deep within. If you find your mind wandering off into fantasy or negativity or worry, then bring it back lovingly to the mantra. But if your mind gets absorbed in inner stillness, that's very good. Go into that state. So we'll meditate now for 10 minutes. Once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Maharaj Ki Jai.